right, guys. Like, let's not look into the lens anymore. Like, we got it. Fucking real funny. Stop this fucking bit, you guys. to bisexually lit hi hi we're so we're so happy to be here with you again welcome in case you forgot i'm summer and i'm danny and this is the podcast where we talk about movies and everything besides movies uh yeah that's us um yeah we're we're excited today's today's been a pretty good day uh summer how was your week what's what's been going on in your world Oh man, it was, just it was kinda... you know, it was a decent week. Um we Danny and I live here in Utah and this winter has been pretty brutal. It's been the worst. Uh we had a nice smattering of like a tease of springtime. Yeah. I mean it's today, super sunny too. out right now. Yeah, today uh, is gorgeous out. The sun was shining right in my window and my air conditionless apartment didn't know how to deal with that, so that was fine. <laughs> uh, I did have the window open though, so it was fine. Yeah. Uh, uh <laughs> but yeah, I mean what I'll say is we are thriving in our little chaotic worlds, right, Danny? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We're, we're romanticizing it. We're making the best of it. Uh, I, so I think I sent you a Snapchat about this, but yesterday I was coming home from work. And I, so we've been having like some weird little snow squalls, right? Uh, but the weather's been, yeah, the weather's been super unpredictable, as it always is in March in Utah. But um, I was walking home like the block and a half. Uh, that I needed to be outside uh, to walk home. I suddenly got caught in an insane thunderstorm. Like it was uh, lightning and thunder and hail. Like there was hail in my pockets. I got completely soaked. I haven't been that wet from the rain since I used to like, like Natasha Bedingfield style, like <laughs> dance in the rain in high school. So like Release that was fun though. Yeah, well. absolutely. I'm I'm romanticizing it and I didn't catch anything, which I, I also just got over being sick. So yes. like if I had gotten sick again from that, I would be really irritated. Um it was a very cute snap of you, though. Yeah, I saw that this I morning. I felt cute. It's weird that I look I look very cute drenched uh, to the bone. It's crazy. Um, it works very well for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, so things that are happening in the world. The Osc- So we're filming this. We're recording this uh, the 11th of March. The Oscars are happening tomorrow. Yeah, um, which I totally spaced. Like, yeah. How much merit do we really give to the Oscars these days? Yeah, totally. Not much, but it's still fun. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's still fun. I'm I'm excited for some of the nominees. Uh, so like some of. Hang on. Yeah, my pop filter is sagging. Um, pop, pop, motherfuckers. But I haven't seen all of the uh, best picture nominees, but. I am excited about the films I have seen um, really gunning for everything everywhere all at once, which really hope to cover someday on the podcast, but it'll be like a four hour episode because that movie is bonkers. It's so dense. Oh my God. It's so good. So spectacular. And like from a queer reading, like, oh, that movie hurts. It's already raked in so many awards though. Yeah, like totally. It's been friends. totally sweeping and like, yeah. I, I love to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, I know that... Babylon, um, that song Voodoo Mama is nominated for mm-hmm. Best Original. I hope that gets it. I love that song. Uh, it's so good. 
and RRR. Yeah, RRR. I saw last week for the first time. Dude, that was that was such a fun night. Oh my like, god! So we so, went. We saw it in theaters yeah. last week, which we went with a bunch of our Winterhawk fellow podcasters. Yeah. So like, um, Zach and Austin of uh, Lower Forty Eight, and Addison was there too, right? No, Addison. No, Addison wasn't there. Make it. Um, but yeah, so, several other people who like kind of work on the back end of Winterhawk came. My brother came because he was in town from Arizona, and we just like hung out saw rrr and like god that that movie is a banger you guys it's bonkers it is it honestly like changed my life i feel like i've been thinking about it so much um it just took melodrama to like a new level for me i i think of it as like the inverse of irony poisoning like it's so real and upfront and like unashamed of how much it loves being itself i don't know it's so great and um, also, like, I was telling Gary about it, my my boyfriend, and he was like, wait, is this a musical? And I was like, no. See, they know how to how to insert musical moments without making it a musical, without but like, also, following. I think it, but it doesn't follow, like, the typical formula. Like, right. Um, it doesn't American have. American musical. Yeah. I, guess, I mean, it, like, it, because uh, Indian film kind of grew up in a, a parallel to yeah. American film, like, they have very different structures and narrative types. And so, like, you're not going to find an I want song or a villain song in. Doesn't fall in. In, in a Tollywood musical. So, like, it. I don't even know if you can, like, put it in the same genre category as mm-hmm. American uh, movies, but it's still fantastic. So good. <laughs> uh, the fact that most of us don't know what to do with it says nothing about its quality because it fucks. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, speaking of movies, which I guess we're always speaking of, um, we today we wanted to talk about a movie. Uh, so this is a movie that we both feel really strongly and passionately about, both really, really enjoyed watching. Um, so this story, this movie that we're talking about is what I believe was an instant classic. It's a story of a charismatic uh, musician who um, approaches music from a new way. Uh, when he first gets his start in like the mid-century, uh, he completely upends the uh, sort of rigid... Um, He completely upends the rigid societal reactions to music. Uh, Previously, it had been a lot of, like, religious stuff, right? He introduces rock and roll to the scene. He influences uh, audiences in a way that they're not entirely comfortable with, but he causes riots, and people are so excited about it. He gets into drugs. He's taken advantage of by the industry. He loses himself in the music. and Faces trauma. Yeah, he's... Deals with it, with all of these different... Yeah, like, the, the fame and the celebrity really get to his head, but then he has to find what makes him him, what makes him passionate about the music, and watching his evolution as an artist and as a person and as someone who uh, understands joy uh, is really inspiring and beautiful. Uh, It features some incredible music, incredible mixing, incredible acting. Of course, we are talking about what else? None other than the 2007 classic Walk Hard. The Dewey Cox story. (laughs) Welcome to this episode. Timeless classic. Dude, I fucking love this movie. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. So let's back it up a little. So let's talk about, first of all, snaps for Danny for that spectacular recap. That was beautiful. Off the dome. Improvised, yes. Completely off the dome. Um, We, the last few films that we've covered have been 
not the not necessarily like the most like dark and heady but like you know we covered some serious content yeah we 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 tend to get into things in like a very like this is the thing this is we're talking about it this is analysis way and uh we wanted to take a step back and have a fun time and we we originally um danny and i looked at each other and we said should we cover like a stoner film next? Yeah, so I think we, we were talking about like Smiley Face. Yeah, with Anna we had Ferris. talked about doing just like like a really silly, fun stoner film, and like you know we could definitely get into that anyway. Yeah. There were a couple Seth Rogen films that we uh, proposed, and then we were like, oh, we don't want to deal with the to, whole James Franco. Yeah, we thing. have to get into the nuance of like all that, and then it dawned on me: oh my god, the Oscars are tomorrow. Yeah. Elvis is up for noms Mm -hmm. and Walk Hard is a fucking comedic masterpiece and is like the perfect musical biopic parody. Yeah. And Uh, this, this movie is okay. So, it's, so this movie came out in December of 2007, mm-hmm. right? And it sort of followed on the heels directly of uh, Walk the Line, which came out in 2005. And it was a story of um, Johnny Cash, mm-hmm. of Johnny Cash. Um, and so a lot of this was influenced by that, as well as Ray, which came out in 2004. But it was also influenced by basically every biopic that had come before yeah. it, right? They uh, People had been making biopics for over half a century before this uh film and so it kind of just like speared every single trope that existed um and made it better not not better but like we really want to engage with this as a parody that really sort of takes itself seriously as a parody and as an example of the film that it's spearing yeah uh it's it's so great um summer you had some stuff that you wanted to say about like the pre-production and stuff uh uh-huh yeah so this movie, um, as Danny said, was released in 2007. Uh, it was directed by Jake Kasdan. Um, what else has he done? That's a great question. Hold on. <laughs> like he, That doesn't ring a bell for me. He's friends with Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow produced this and co-wrote it. Um, Jake Kasdan also directed Bad Teacher. Which sucked. Not a good movie. Sex Tape, which I never saw, which I can only imagine. And then he also directed the reboot of Jumanji. Both of those were pretty decent. I enjoyed those. I didn't see those. I I liked them. Okay. They're, I mean, they're The Rock and Kevin Hart just going at each other. But, like, they're pretty good. Yeah, I guess that just doesn't really appeal to me. So I... Totally valid. Yeah, but wasn't Jack Black in that? Yes. He was actually really good. I love Jack He played a teenage girl, and it was extremely believable. Like, I don't often... There are several examples of, like, middle-aged men playing teenage girls in the past years, and they don't... They hardly ever pull it off as well as Jack Black did. Uh, He had a real... Which makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Jack Black puts his whole pussy into everything he does. Exactly. Always. Uh, Yeah. Best pussy forward. Um, Not the point of any of this. Uh, but so, so this this was directed so, by Jake Kasdan. Yeah, yeah, directed by Jake Kasdan. Um, what I will say, like, okay. So before I kind of get into some of the, like, interesting, fascinating tidbits of, like, how seriously they took this production. Um, I, so when we decided to cover this, I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen the, I've seen Walk Hard so many times. Like, I fuck with that movie. It's hilarious. But then I realized that, like, I can, I could not remember for the life of me how the movie ended. And I was trying to, like, figure out why specifically I couldn't remember the ending. And I, I was like, well, you know, a 
most of the times that I've seen this movie have been in the context of like drinking games, right? So like hanging out with friends, playing a drinking game to walk hard. By the time we get to the ending, like I'm faded, I'm gone, like I don't remember. But then Danny and I were talking about it and like what what I think is so interesting is that like, okay, because of the fact that Walk Hard does so perfectly um, follow the structure and the the relevant tropes that have been laid out in previous biopics. And biopics since 2007. Yeah, they continue to kind of mm-hmm. follow that same structure. Um, and we'll get into this more, but they tend to lose steam after like the first act, basically. Mm-hmm. They really, they tend to hit the climax early on and they, obviously they're trying to draw the audience in, but then at a certain point it just kind of loses direction. And I think like that's true also for Walk Hard. Like by the end, you're kind of like, okay, he's already risen to fame. He's fallen multiple times and like mustered the courage and the wherewithal to continue on. But anyway, so um, I guess like for me, I just want to say I love this movie yeah. before we get into the nitty gritty. And yeah. I think it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, so... <laughs> also and I, I do want to circle back to that a yeah, l- quite yeah. a bit later um but yeah let's get into like the yeah, pre-production yeah. okay so um this movie so basically Judd Apatow this was like during his heyday right like peak early aughts dude I <sighs> would love to examine like the Judd Apatowification of comedy like post 9-11 because he ruled that scene from like freaks and geeks all the way up to sausage party like that was really impressive of him. He's a pretty good filmmaker. Seems like I actually, really weird shit going kinda, on internally, though. Yeah, like, I, I have a lot of issues with... I mean, to oh, be fair, sure. like, inherently... I'm, I know you're yeah. not, you're not like, taking a stance on, like, ethically how yeah. his work plays out. But, but, like, for me, I feel like, yes, he completely redefined comedy in that mm-hmm. era. Um, but But I would say, like... In terms of, you were just saying. Do you mind if I cut in a little bit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Like, I, I feel like the way that I see Judd Apatow is, like, he provided a, a different perspective on comedy. I think he understands comedy, and he tends to be able to break it down into, like, its summary parts, you know, and, and like, reconstruct it from there, which is one of the things he did with Walk Hard, and I think that's one of the reasons it works super well. But often it results in a lot of, like, crude and crass and, like, things that don't really land if you're, like, an ethical human being. Mm -hmm. And so, like, when someone's, like, that dedicated to pushing that, it's kind of annoying. But, I mean, he tends to work with people who are extremely talented if, uh, you know, morally questionable. Um, Yeah, yeah. Like, that's definitely a conversation for another day regarding the appetitification of all of this. Absolutely. But, um... Yeah, like, I think that he's talented as a filmmaker. I don't know if I can, like, make any stances on the quality of his films when I derive from that, you know? Absolutely. Uh, this is a good film, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so so basically, you know, he and Jake Kasdan were friends. They're both um, big, like, rock heads. Like, they love, like, rock and roll culture, really into rock history, all of that. And so Jake Kasdan had this idea to make a parody of the musical biopic. Um, And Judd Apatow was like, 
yes, I'm in. Let's make it happen. And he basically was at the point in his film career where, like, anything that he pitched would get the green light, like, immediately. And so because of that... Imagine. Right? (laughs) They were able to just, like, immediately start the ball rolling here. Um, So before they even started writing it, they were just in, like, the outline phase. Um, They were trying to think of an actor who would be fit for this role. And immediately they thought of John C. Riley because they thought, because he's who else? Uh, fucking amazing. Which John C. Riley did all the vocals on yeah. this movie. And the Dude, music slaps guy. so hard. It's so good. Which is one thing that, like, ah, this movie's so good because it's like, not only is it just so witty in the way that it does parody um, musical biopics, but it's like, it's objectively well done. And they put so much time and effort into everything down to like the production design and the music um but yeah so they thought you know john c Riley. at this point he had not starred in a film the closest thing was talladega nights um wow. which was filmed before walk hard with will ferrell but before that he had always been like supporting actor that surprises me yeah because this is like pre-step brothers and all that they filmed step brothers right after this okay yeah, yeah that totally makes mm-hmm. sense um the one okay so my favorite role of his from before this is chicago oh uh, which is where he mr. like he Cellophane. um <laughs> so oh my god his mr cellophane <gasps> is so good and like i wonder if that like had an influence like he was a very good singer which shocks me he doesn't yeah. seem like someone who oh, would be a good singer he, his, yeah, but his like his performance insane. in chicago was like so good and i wonder if that had an influence on yeah, getting this role totally but um but like because of the fact that he's so well-rounded i mean he's a great dramatic actor like mm-hmm. he's in boogie nights um which is a pt anderson film which right so I haven't well, seen that. Yeah, someday uh, we'll get there. Um, but he, yeah, he has this range that they both realize, like, he is the man for this mm-hmm. role. But also the comedic range. Yeah. they had just and, done Talladega Nights. And I, I think you definitely need both comedic and dramatic at the same time for this role because, like, it is definitely melodrama and parody. But at the core, like, the character of Dewey Cox is pretty internally consistent and dramatically relevant you know like i i think that his performance lands so well not because like his performance lands so well because he's taking it seriously as a performance while it's you know in in a really ludicrous context but it's it's so good like and and he he, like dramatically he's committed while in a comedic context yes could not agree more he and he talks about that a lot like so i listened to the commentary for walk hard which i will say don't waste your time <laughs> um unfortunately and and i was telling dating this i was i was watching this like while i had a migraine so i was just listening to the commentary oh, man, that's, actually that sounds terrible and yeah because i was like can't really stare at screens are, but, like, are you sure sleep, that but... like the migraine came first and not the commentary? <laughs> that's a great question um but i'm like how much of this was just a fever dream and how much of this was actually happening um but you know he did talk about how he really carried this whole production. Absolutely. There are also interviews from like the other actors, like Jenna Fisher, saying that like literally ev- John C. Riley's in pretty much every scene. There might be only like a couple of scenes that he's not in, but I think he's there throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And he brought so much energy to the set, and he started this process way early on because they started writing all the music before they shot anything and 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 didn't you say they wrote like 40 songs for this there were 40 plus tracks that they recorded in a matter of six 
months. That's those fucking numbers insane. are wild. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And and what's really unique about this is because they had this this really extensive kind of time period to explore the music and the music is like the crux of this character, right? Because that's like what his whole heart and soul pours into. John C. Riley was given the opportunity to really flesh out the character before they even started recording. And so... Oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah, and so, like, by the time... Oh, and not even just, like, the recording of the tracks, but the costume. Oh, my God. Okay, so the costume design in this movie is so amazing. I should look up the name of the costume designer because they deserve an Academy Award on their own, honestly. Um... They covered so many different, like, iconic eras in That's this. True. like yeah. Through, like, from the 50s up until the 70s. And, yeah. like, each one was just so perfectly crafted. Very well captured. Like, and, I, I don't even the think... the production I, design. Yeah. I don't think that this movie uses... Does it use, like, title cards for, like, where and when things happen? I can't remember if that happens. Um, but, um, I don't know. Whether it does or it doesn't, it doesn't really matter because, like... I feel like I get enough of a sense of okay, no, it it does have I title think it cards. Does, Never yeah. mind. Rem- re- it, but even it, if it didn't, like it's still you would very still get because like clear. yeah, when the sixties are happening, you know the sixties are happening. Well, when the seventies are happening, blatantly say it in the dialogue, oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> which is another thing we'll get yeah. into, which I love. Um, but yeah, so they went through so much development. Like the pre-production for this was insane. Going through. All of Dewey Cox's costumes. He was also very particular about the instruments um, that he was Wait, given. He like John, uh, John C. Riley. Riley. Yeah. So so they would pair him with the guitar for like a given era, and he would say, "You know what? This just doesn't feel like Dewey. Like, sorry." And and it was always um, like accurate to the time period, but then further than that, even it, it was had to accurate, accurate to, the, to character. the character, right? And so I thought that was really cool. Um, but yeah, so they had this extensive pre-production and then once they finally started filming um they also okay so the band that made up um dewey cox and the what was the name of the band hard walkers i think i can't remember um but the names so he had two band members with him it was Matt Besser and Chris Parnell who played Theo and Dave. Okay, Loki, I love Chris Parnell. He's so funny. He's so great. He's good. Um, but both of them, so so John C. Riley, he already knew how to play the guitar and his he was like vocally trained prior to this. But both Chris Parnell and Matt Besser, neither of them knew how to play the drums. Oh, and Tim Meadows. Oh my god, I mm, forgot. Yeah. I almost wrote Tim Dude, Meadows. He's so funny. So much. He has such great scenes in this. <laughs> So good. So they all learned how to play these instruments. They all took lessons ahead of time. Wow. Um, and which is great because, like in Walk the Line, um, both uh, Walking Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon took vo- vocal lessons and learned how to play the auto harp and the guitar, respectively. Wow. Um, and so it's like the, it's just a perfect example of how Walk Hard took itself so seriously. Yeah. They it, were like, was... no, no, we're going to do the. The whole thing, like the yeah. full Monty here. It was engaging on the exact same level as Walk the Line while being like a parody of the same yeah. thing. So like, yeah, it's it, it's really cool. That's awesome. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's a little bit about like kind of what went into this. Um, but yeah, it was a total box office flop. Really? Terribly. Yeah. Given like... I mean, I, I guess that kind of makes sense. Like if you're doing 
like parodies notoriously yeah. don't do well. Also, one uh, starring someone who's not that famous at the time. Like I, I'm thinking about comparing it to um, that uh, the Andy Samberg one that came out I think Pop in 2014. <laughs> pop star never stop never stopping yeah. which was also Another a musical amazing. yeah like it was a musical like bio doc uh parody mm. but like that did pretty well i think but it was because andy samberg was also already like incredibly lonely was fully yeah like blonde. lonely island was very established and so mm. they already had like their niche but i guess uh if you've just got john c Riley, but you know this uh you know since 2005 in the uh, sorry 2007 so in the 15 years since it's... then this is like become a cultural juggernaut Absolutely. like everyone knows this movie yes. and it's because it understands its genre so well and it, it captures it so well and it's, it's also just like so good mm-hmm. yeah so it it's certainly made up for that um but also uh speaking to like the training that went into it the classical training and everything um oh yeah okay so it's surprising that it didn't do at least a little bit better given like the junket that that they oh, pushed yeah. so hard with the live tour like yeah. literally john c Riley with his band they went on tour as dewey cox and so cool. they performed to live audiences like one it was of them i think was like screenings. at the rock and roll hall of fame yeah, or something. yeah, yeah. yes crazy uh-huh yeah um so pretty amazing like how seriously they took all they walked hard they for walked this movie. so hard yeah um but yeah um should we take a little break and then we can get into... yeah let's do that yeah we're gonna take a little break and yeah. then we we're just warning you right now there's so much there's so we have a lot of thoughts so many about thoughts like and yeah. because of the fact that we're covering like the genre we're gonna do our best to to rein it in but yeah. buckle up cowboys yeah we are not concise people but we're doing our best we're gonna walk um, the line. yeah when we come back we're gonna talk about uh walk the line and kind of you know why movies like this get made not not the parodies but the actual musical biopics and why because, hollywood is obsessed yeah we've seen so many of these in the last few years so yeah. um yeah we'll yep. be right back be right back cool listen close You'll hear it in the rustle of the leaves and the whisper of the wind. In the falling snow and drifting clouds. The song of the road. The story of the people of this world. A soaring eagle, a scampering mouse, and the myths that surround them. They traveled through snow-dappled fields and across rolling oceans. To raucous festivals and somber forests. Not every journey needs a destination. Sometimes it's enough to wander and roam. Wander and Roam, an improvised pastoral story, releases Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Okay, hi, we're back. We're back. Welcome back. Um, yes, so we wanted to get into Hollywood's fascination with celebrity culture, biopics in general. Um, when preparing for this movie, Judd Apatow and uh, Jake Kazan talked a lot about how they went into this frenzy of studying all of these different biopics that have been 
made from the beginning like like Danny was saying like mid-century like from the 50s like these have been rolling out um but the big ones that they covered obviously the ones that were highly pulled from were Walk the Line and Ray mm-hmm. um but they also pulled from Coal Miner's Daughter mm-hmm. uh which featured Sissy Spacek a young Sissy Spacek and who was that about I don't know that even... was a country singer named hold on I have that here somewhere. Welcome to How Do You Organize Your Notes or Not Organize organize Them at All. That's me. (laughs) I remember seeing Coal Miner's Daughter when I was a kid. Oh, really? Um, I remember like really loving it. That came out in 1980. Nice. And it was about Loretta Lynn. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've heard of her. Yes. Um, but they also pulled from Great Balls of Fire, which was a biopic uh, covering um, Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis. Lewis's life, yeah. starring which, Dennis Quaid. What? A young Dennis Quaid. Dude, I, I fucking guess. love young that Dennis was Quaid. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and like um, Jerry Lee Lewis was it, he was a character in Walk the Line. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Dude, my my dad used to listen to uh, like old classic country, and yes. like some of it. Love it. Some of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry Lee Lewis is good. It's fine though, mm-hmm. right? Maybe. Sure. I don't. I, actually, to be honest, like I, I am not um, very well versed in rock history yeah. or any of that. Like that. So it's I've learned a lot just by studying these biopics. To be honest, yeah. but then it leads to the question, which we'll get to: How much of this is even true? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because biopics like, are notorious for taking this creative yeah. license, and that's and that's one of the reasons that Hollywood loves it because it's like here's this like very recognizable character who everyone kind of knows as an icon, and like the like concept of them and then we can build up something around them that's like true but it doesn't it doesn't have to be true like it can be a little bit wrong yeah uh yeah but yeah so these these films though they always end up getting oscar nods um walk the line um we had a ton of nominations Reese Witherspoon was up for Best Actress. She ended up winning. Hell which, yeah. like, to be honest, I always forget that Reese Witherspoon is an Oscar award-winning yeah. actress. Also, like, has she had any other Oscars? Because of all of her films, I'm kind of surprised that this is the one she won for. Wild. Um, she was up for Wild. I've never seen that. That's the one about her trekking, doing the trek, the big hike. Huh. Isn't it called Wild? I don't it's know. It's based on a book. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, um, I don't know about the rest of yeah. it. I didn't really. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> but then um, Joaquin um, Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix was up for Best Actor. He lost to Philip Seymour Hoffman for Capote, which I'm Go, like. I love that guy. Amazing. Yeah. That movie's amazing. Um, and then it also was nominated for Best Costume Design, Sound Mixing, and Film Editing. Not for Best Picture, um, you know, I think film editing surprises me. When I was watching this, which, to be fair, I was watching this after midnight, but, like, it it didn't strike me as being that, like, visually edited. No, I don't especially, think it was yeah, very es- snappy. Yeah. Especially, like, I guess that editing was substantially worse in, like, the mid-aughts, uh, I think, just objectively, uh, from, from what I can remember. Um, but, like, because, I mean, we're... Than nowadays, because nowadays you see like some really, really interesting stuff happening with editing. Yeah. But like, 
But yeah. even then, I don't know. I don't what, know like, yeah, I still don't think that Walk the Line, maybe, like... I don't think it yeah. was a good... Like, oh, yeah, fair. I I, I uh, was much more familiar with, like, mainstream and blockbuster sure. movies. But, yeah, I nothing stood out to me with editing in the in Walk the Line. Certainly not, like, a paradigm for yeah. good editing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Ray, Ray uh, was... Jamie Foxx won for Best Actor. Hell they yeah. won Best Sound Mixing. They were up for Best Picture, didn't win um, Best Director as well. And then, of course, Elvis. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the time you listen to this, we'll know who won the Oscars. Yeah. But right now, we have no idea. Um, yeah. And Elvis was nominated for several. I believe it was best nominated picture, for Best Picture. Best Actor. Mm-hmm. Which, Austin Butler. I, I'm curious to, like... I I hope he gets it. Like, I think that Brennan... I haven't seen The Whale, but from what I understand, his performance was really good. I think Brennan really good. is going to take it. Yeah, but um, I, I still think that Austin Butler, like, his embodiment of Elvis, like, so fucking good. And that's phenomenal. that's one of the reasons that these movies get made, right? Is because it, it's not just that it's we're so... Task. Yeah, like, it's not just that we're so obsessed with celebrity culture, but, like, it gives actors and people with vision, like, an opportunity to really step into something. I mean, like, uh, yeah, we look at uh, Austin Butler playing Elvis, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, he was very lauded at the time for like stepping into Johnny Cash. Um, and Rami Malik, when he played Freddie Mercury, mm-hmm. also received like very similar. Uh, Many accolades, did yeah. he? He didn't win Best Actor, but I believe he was, he was nominated. nominated. I can't remember who yeah. won that year. Um, and then, uh, what, what's his name? Um, the guy who played Elton John in Rocket Man. Uh-huh. What is his name? Um, Taron Edgerton? Was that him? It was, yeah. I think it was Taron Edgerton. Edgerton. Yeah, he was snubbed, I think. But he, I I honestly think he deserved at least a nomination for Best Actor because Mm -hmm. he was absolutely incredible. Um, uh, Yeah, so like, I think that when you have these giants of an industry and, and people who are so visually recognizable and who like kind of were successful because they made themselves stand out with like their looks and their mannerisms and the way that they sounded and behaved like it makes it all the easier to step into that role well not easier but all the more compelling to step into that role and become that person and so uh, you know every single actor wants their opportunity to play that one guy exactly you know and and reading about Joaquin Phoenix um, his so he was a very young actor when he stepped into this role. Yeah, I think his biggest role before this had been Gladiator, correct? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. So Gladiator was the one that really put him on the maps. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he heard that they were making a biopic about Johnny Cash, he immediately was gunning for the role. He basically... As I think anyone would be, oh, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And like you said, it, it's it's such a compelling role, but it's also like a very daunting task because at the time, too, when they... Pre-production for Walk the Line, both Johnny Cash and June Carter were, were still alive. Yeah. By the time it was released, they had passed. Really? Um, but yeah, like... And Johnny... Uh, actually, Joaquin Phoenix met Johnny Cash prior yeah. to... And, and, and Johnny Cash, like, wanted Joaquin Phoenix to play him after seeing Gladiator. He was yeah. such a big fan. I, um, I did see so Joaquin Phoenix did an interview with Conan that I watched uh, when this came out and he said that um, Johnny Cash was very interested in some uh, weird lines from Gladiator oh, uh, I, didn't know that. Like, um, I, I can't remember exactly the line and like to be honest I haven't seen Gladiator in like a really long time uh, but yeah he said that like Johnny was very entertained by his delivery of like some really sadistic lines and I was like well I think that of all people Johnny Cash he's like a 
I don't know what my point is starting that sentence, the, but it, the you fixation know. on kind of the more um, hurt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Enough said. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we won't get too caught up in the whole Oscar thing, um, but we did think that it was worth pointing out uh, how much attention musical biopics and biopics have gotten from Hollywood, and also um, how the makers of Walk Hard were able to take all of that, you know, applaud that they had received and put it into this beautiful work of art. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So where do we go from here? Yeah. Um, hang on, let me check my... Okay. So something we had talked about, we were, we were texting about this a few days ago, um, and you mentioned it a bit earlier, was how these movies, especially the three that we're kind of focusing on today, which are Walk Hard, Walk the Line, and Elvis, they tend to like peak in... I don't know about, like, structure. So let me get this out straight. Um, never mind. I'm not straight. I'm I can't do that. Straight. Yeah. <laughs> no straightness here. Um, we don't do straight. Um, so with the narrative structure of one of these, the, the musical biopic tends to follow a musician through like the entire arc of their career if not their life all three of these start with the character very young uh with walk the line and walk hard it's like a terrible trauma and tragedy at the very beginning which oh my god that's so it's really funny and okay uh yeah which those parallels like yeah oh god honestly like watching because i i saw walk the line when it first came out like Mm -hmm. and i was a kid and i don't think i'd really seen it since then Uh and like watching it after watching walk hard i was like holy shit like the parallels are so strong yeah he literally says he took the they took the wrong son yeah (laughs) like it it's yeah in in walk hard uh when he's uh the wrong kid died the wrong kid died but and it seems so like overt in walk the walk hard, but then you go back to watch walk the line, and his dad literally says the yes. like he took the wrong That's hand. It's like oh, so never well. mind. Like Fuck. they're they're punching up the jokes, but it's all that yeah. blatant, like in the original like text it's 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 wild absolutely and um i think that's one of the reasons that i enjoy walk hard so much is because it has so much of the content and not necessarily emotion but like the beats of walk the line but when i was watching walk the line for the first time ever last night um so this is fresh um i was i kept being struck by like how it really drags things out uh it it feels like it's trying to be subtle in a lot of ways but more than anything, it just, like, keeps hammering the same things over and over. And, like, there was a part where I was just like, I'm sorry, how much, like, human misery do I have to be subjected to right now? Um, and But in Walk Hard, they really don't do any of that. They, they're making the same point of, like, oh, uh, my dad blames me for my brother's death. Oh, my brother died too young and, oh, like, wants me. I'm processing uh, this trauma by yeah. using but, like, they, substance abuse as a coping mechanism. But, like, they come out and say it so fast and so directly that, like, it it feels both more efficient and more effective mm-hmm. uh, because you're not being dragged through this slog of, like, oh, my God, I'm so sad all the time. Uh, and you have a lot more freedom for levity and sort of artistic expression rather than internal exploration. Um, and so I'm not, I don't think that that necessarily makes Walk Hard better, but it certainly makes it easier to watch. Um, and I think, I think also because, like, if you're comparing it to Walk the Line, Walk the Line 
only covers up until when June Carter and Johnny Cash ended up like getting together. Which I think like, was a weird choice. I agree. Like I was surprised by that because I assumed that they went because they were together like 30 plus years after mm-hmm. they finally got married and they didn't cover any of that or, or like the aftermath of this peak point for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but because Walk Hard covers the generic structure of all biopics in covering three decades at least, mm-hmm. um, whereas like Walk the Line only covered like two, I think, um, really. I mean, yeah, I, I think that it like messes, it fudges the timeline a little bit because Folsom Prison Blues like happened, like the, the Folsom Prison uh, recording, I think he was already like relatively older. So uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it's a little, true. it's I'm a little sure messed up. I'm not sure how accurate that timeline is, yeah. but, but, but I guess what I'm trying to say is with Walk Hard. It's a lot um, more comprehensive. It is. And, and they, they really stuff a lot into it, which was the point. I mean, yeah. because that is what biopics do. It, there's a quote that John C. Riley said actually in an inter- interview mm-hmm. um, where he, I'm summarizing, but he touches on the fact that like it's inherently com- comic mm-hmm. to um, how, hold on, let me just read it. That would be yeah. better. <laughs> um, it kind of makes me think of like a speed run. Like they're so direct with yeah. the way that they communicate the story points that they can get through a lot more. So like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So Sorry. Go ahead with you're the good. quote. So Riley says, "Quote, um, he's so Jake had the best line about it. He said, if you compress someone's entire life from when they're born until they die into a two-hour movie, basically every time you open a door, you're in a new era, mm-hmm. and that in itself is inherently satirical. It's inherently funny because the speed at which you're moving through these people's lives, it's like a wig every five minutes. Yeah. And so I think they really hit on that well um, with and and the fact that they. <laughs> So, like, like you were saying in Walk the Line, Danny, um, you were saying that they really lean into this, like, human misery component. And they really hit hard on that. But there's also these points where they so overtly kind of say what the point is of it, I mm-hmm. think. And and so because... In like, Walk- can you get an example, I think? Um, well, I guess, like, what I'm thinking of is... Um, when June Carter walks in on them, uh, when they're supposed to be rehearsing oh, and they have that matinee performance and yeah. all the guys are getting drunk and fooling around, whatever. She says like, you, she can't says, you can't walk, no, walk line. no line. Yeah. There are just these moments where they, they really blatantly say, yeah. um, a message or a point that, that sh- probably should be a little more subtle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah no, I think like. Now I completely forgot what point well, I was making with Walker, but they, yeah. they do that over time and time again, like yeah. where they 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 will just state overtly, like, mm-hmm. "Oh, this is a dark fucking period," or yeah. "The '60s are an important time." Yeah, I think that like Walk Hard has like this weird—I don't know how I would describe it—maybe like a, a semantic timing issue. Uh, so like it'll go through like it it it'll muddle through this like walk hard or walk sorry walk sorry okay <laughs> walk the line yeah. muddle through this emotional era and then it'll like catch up with a point really really fast right so like uh, he's uh, doing all these drugs and stuff like that and then suddenly he's like daddy are you mad that Jack died you know and and, and then same thing with like where he's kind of like treating June in this really really weird way and then when she leaves the tour she just looks at him and it's like you can't walk no line like it, it 
you'd think that there would be a little bit more of a like metered expression of like the points or, or the themes that the movie is trying to tell, but it's just kind of uh, rushed and then slowed down, you know, in, in these weird ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but Walk Hard delivers them like super, super rapidly. And I think when you're analyzing the structure of Walk Hard, um, you get like his whole um, emergence, like his his childhood, his marriage, his uh, emergence and making it big and all that. And then cheating on his wife, marrying Jenna Fisher in like the first uh, half of the movie or so. And then you see him like losing his way. But so because they kind of got so walk the line, the story with June is like sort of the core of the movie. And so that takes the entire span of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, It's so drawn out. Yeah. Yeah. And so since walk the line, so since walk hard resolves that aspect really quickly, um, at least the like winning her in the first place, it's able to explore a few other aspects of biopics. So like we were talking a little bit earlier about, um, Oh, the guy that Love and Mercy was about. Um, Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson yeah, of the Beach, the Beach Boys. Boys. Um, he, like, a lot of the stuff in the 70s that Dewey Cox was doing when he was drug-addled uh, was kind of a, um, an examination of that, a, a parody of so that. the song Black Sheep in Walk Hard was mm-hmm. a parody of Pet, Pet Sounds. Pet Sounds, yeah. Right, and so, like, the <laughs> it's able to go into some stuff that, you know, wouldn't have been available if they had drawn they out... so much. Yeah. But, but at the same time, like, they... They still do the whole will they, won't they. Cause they That's they, true, because Jenna Fisher's character leaves him. I can't remember her name. Yeah. Um, uh, Darlene. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. She And then she ends up coming back. But, yeah. But no, Which think- is a... a, a- yeah, they they kind of get both ways. Like they get right. their love story, which was the the John and June love story, and then she leaves, and then he's able to like go through a bunch of stuff, and then have the emotional resolution of getting back together at the end, which is like mm-hmm. okay, that that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I also um, <coughs> excuse me. I think like now's as good of time as any to talk about. So when I was listening to the the commentary, um, one thing that they they were talking about and again this commentary was with uh judd apatow john c Riley, um jake kazdan and then a producer oops i can't remember his name but he barely spoke uh-huh. um so they were talking about how when they were writing the script um they wanted to make sure that as the other biopics do they leave enough room to sympathize with our protagonist right mm-hmm. like with the musician and so like <laughs> with Kristen Wiig's character, his 12-year-old wife. Um, oh, my God, that you know, was so they, funny. they wanted to make sure that she was just terrible to him. And and the whole, tr- the whole like, um, they kept harping on this joke of, like, I support you, Dewey, but you're never going to make it. You're never going to make it while he's, like, winning awards and touring, yeah. you know, the country. Um, but, you know, they, they blatantly said, like, we needed to, we kept writing in there um, her being just terrible to him so that, by the time he does leave her, or he does go get double married, she can't get double married, do we? Um, we still sympathize with this character. And so I kept that in mind when I was watching Walk the Line, and I was like, I have no sympathy and I, for yeah. Johnny Cash. In yeah, this. totally. And I think, and because of the fact that this was the early aughts when it was made, and they romanticize this thing that pisses me off so badly 
of men wearing down women oh until God, yeah. they finally relent and say yes and yeah. give in. And that Ugh. was the crux of their love story. It's like every shitty romance. wearing her down. Yeah. yeah. And, and like I she, got, Oh, yeah. I, I think it's a really, like, gross way to... Uh, show of if this is how their romance was in real life like I probably would have you know cleaned that up a little bit because that feels weird to me um and if it wasn't like that's a really weird decision to make it so that like she was constantly pushing against it and and constantly being like no we can't do it uh, uh, we can't be together John and like also the way that they portray his relationship with his wife, uh, his first wife, I mean, Viv. Jennifer Goodwin, yeah. Yeah, like, I, that was hard to watch, dude. That, so, the point where his relation, his marriage with Jennifer Goodwin, uh, Viv, is falling apart and, like, his, their kids see them fighting, that was the point where I, it, I, it really hit me, like, this is such a drawn out, like, examination of how, one man couldn't deal with his emotional hangups and issues, mm-hmm. which like, is that enough to justify a whole movie? Uh, and like, it was so, yeah, it was just so hard to watch. It was so emotionally gutting and I, I didn't enjoy it at all. And it, it made it so difficult to empathize with him. And like, if I were writing a movie about one of the most beloved musicians of all time, I would probably romanticize him a little bit more yeah, yeah it, it was a really weird take to I was make him by that. yeah and, and i wonder if at the time people saw it as being as like concerning as it is because yeah too. like right the early 2000s we yeah things very differently it's been 17 years since then so like the uh, like i'm sure that the way that he treated his first wife didn't come off super well on on camera because like of course it didn't because it was really bad but like the way that he treated june like was it seen as like a good romance or was it seen at the time as did like, people, oh, this is really weird. Yeah. Did you people know? revere that or was it? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I didn't in my sort of brief uh, review of some of the stuff, I didn't see anything that seemed like uh, criticizing it, but Same. revisiting it years later, it feels so weird. And like, it, yeah, I, it, it's such a, an interesting decision. And I wonder how people will look back on the biopics of now um in the future i don't know mm-hmm. it's interesting. yeah yeah um i think also like so with elvis so baz Luhrmann directed elvis and i feel like we haven't really talked about elvis too much but mm-hmm. okay so to be fair i attempted to watch both of those movies walk the line and elvis oh, multiple times um i feel really felt like I was stuck in some like purgatory loop because I tried to watch them both so many times I would fall asleep and then I would like attempt it again and I'd be like I have to start from the beginning because I have to get like the full thing you know and I oh my god I was going insane by the end um but from what I remember (laughs) from the times that I watched Elvis um they don't so much romanticize his treatment of women in that yeah I think inherently Elvis is um, romanticized to a certain degree just because yeah. of like his cultural influence but it's still what would you say like okay. as far as like the yeah so um, I know that Elvis uh, married someone who's quite a bit younger than him in like a sort of problematic way but um, in the film I think the love story in the film is not between Elvis and his wife 
it's between Elvis and the audience and his audience specifically, yeah. right? Like the way and Colonel Tom Parker. <laughs> well, well, Tom Parker says multiple times in the film, like he loved you, speaking yeah. directly to the yeah, audience. Like true, he breaks yeah. that fourth wall, and so you feel like you're falling in love with Elvis. Mm-hmm. And I think that replacing any kind of real relationship that Elvis may have had with the relationship he had to his audience and also to a certain extent with society and sort of the political landscape around him, uh, I think that was a really good idea because it was it, it allowed them to update the perception of Elvis a lot while still not like necessarily changing anything um, and within the story. Really you know, good point. I hadn't considered that before because it also leaves it open to be a bit timeless because yeah totally in that regard like it is open to each audience member's interpretation as to like what that relationship is exactly and it can be kind of shifted based on Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that that's something um I kind of wanted to touch on was when you're watching walk the line my understanding is that Johnny Cash did quite a bit of um advocacy for prisoners in the United States like he he talked a lot about how prisons are and a lot of his music was focused on that and he performed in prisons quite a bit uh one of the culminating parts of the film is when he uh records his live album in Folsom Prison and it portrays it as his producers and stuff not really wanting him they're not supporting like uh, yeah yeah, to to uh perform in Folsom Prison that that didn't happen they were super happy to have him perform there and in fact he had made it a part of his thing to perform in prisons all the time because so many uh prisoners were his biggest fans you know um the only issue with that recording was that they didn't want to turn it into a live show but like they ended up doing it and it it went viral but um and and so i think it's an interesting decision to cut out so much of that so much of johnny cash's uh relationship with everyone else in his life aside from the women especially yeah especially when that was like the bookend because it like started with that and ended on that yeah exactly um it didn't really engage i feel like it didn't engage in any of the content of his uh music aside from like maybe ring of fire Mm -hmm. instead it sort of skipped it over it and and really sort of skimmed the surface Mm -hmm. and only really engaged with his his guilt over one thing and his relationship with uh his wives and like we we get a lot of stuff about his relationship with his dad too but i would argue that it's not like necessarily the emotional core it's a driving aspect of his addiction but i don't think back on it but they don't allow those two to really yeah there's no um there's no catharsis yeah like in in walk hard um you get a very clear catharsis when dewey cox uh confronts his dad about the fact that uh he blames him for his brother's death so uh the father blames dewey for his brother's death and then dewey ends up cutting his dad in half no, about it no oh dewey's no dad cuts himself in yes half you're right so they and then he's like oh duel. they have the machete duel but then <laughs> Which comes finally, out of nowhere he, i love it he's about to cut dewey in half and then and then he circles back on himself yeah and he's he like, slips cut and cut himself in half pretty yeah. bad. and then they have that that talk and it's yes. a catharsis yes. but we don't get that catharsis no. in walk the line and it sort of it prevents it from being a core aspect and so the only real emotional through line is his relationships with women, which, yeah. as we said, don't really 
I don't think that they work as a through line. But if they had maybe engaged a little bit more with some of his activism, some of the sure. content of his that music, really... I would really enjoy that. I think that yeah, that would that be a stronger. So yeah. Stronger. And I think that that was a really good choice with Elvis was to bring it in and, and have a whole conversation about um, black music, a conversation about the 60s and everything that was happening there, mm-hmm. and then show how, you know, as we were talking about, like how celebrity and fame and the manipulations of Colonel Parker kind of kept him from being the whole person that he wanted to be. Yeah. So instead of focusing on a relationship with Priscilla, instead it's a relationship with the world. There so. are two side notes that I have to plug in really quick yes, love before that. the ship sails too far away. Um, so... Speaking about the Folsom Prison scene in Walk the Line. Very good scene. Allegedly, this is something I read in a few articles, so I think uh-huh. it's backed up. Walking Phoenix was very adamant about making sure that they did not allow the extras, so the background characters in the Folsom Prison scene, to use the restroom, get any water, or be fed, so that they would build that tension to accurately um, portray what it was like in the moment, which I don't like that. What the fuck? Like we were talking about how like walking Phoenix, like I was surprised that there weren't more stories about like his behavior on set. Cause I just could see him like leaning too far into the method thing, which I guess he didn't, but that really bothered me. And then also another side note, uh-huh. speaking about the climax of Dewey Cox and his father's relationship and the machete fight. Apparently, they shot two there were uh, there was an alternate ending which is the original one that they shot was Dewey Cox goes out on a ship with his dad like a boat they're like on a boat and they have this really heartwarming talk where all along it was just a misunderstanding he was never actually blaming Dewey for that he was just saying it was just a misunderstanding and then what ends up happening but the wrong kid for sure died (laughs) even though he says it 20 times but the mast of the boat comes around and cuts him in half so like he still ends up getting cut in half but it, yeah, so then yeah, they I don't ended like up shooting much. the alternate version, which they ended up using, it's which I think was, yeah, much, much more fit. Um, but anyway, I yeah. just had to make sure I got those in. That, that's uh, that's good context. <laughs> but yeah, what they ended up with is definitely much better because like yeah. it, you know, it wasn't it a misunderstanding. His dad was yeah. a piece of shit. Um, I think we should take an, another little break. Yeah, I think that's we'll a good idea. we'll come back for some more discourse. Yeah, so, definitely. Okay, be right back. Winterhawk Podcasting presents Lower 48, a horror storytelling podcast presented bi-weekly starting March 8th. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Hi. Welcome back. Thank you for... Sitting through that break, we were gone for a few minutes. Who knows how long you guys were gone? I don't know if we have ads yet. <laughs> Who even knows at this yeah. point? Um, so from here, we wanted to talk. So we've kind of started to get into it a little bit before uh, Summer introduced it in the intro part. But something that we've been talking about quite a bit as we've analyzed these three movies and to a certain extent, a few more, you know, uh, musical biopics is... Hang on. A few more musical biopics is the fact that these so the narrative structure that we see in biopics like this are a little bit 
different than what we're typically what we typically expect in a Hollywood movie. So usually we have like the three act structure and there's a midpoint thing and a climax. And like we we do kind of get that in these, you know, we we get climaxes with like emotional catharsis, etc. But um the energy of these movies is a little bit inverted, you know. Um if you're thinking about I tend to th- um so if we're thinking about as an example, uh superhero movies or sports movies, um, you start out with like fairly low energy or uh, like an introduction and everything kind of like starts building and building and then the energy like ups in waves, right? And then the climax, the energy is highest. But something we see here, especially I would argue in Walk Hard and Elvis, uh, you start out with like a ton of energy. Something you see in both of these movies is like crowds are going absolutely that shit for both of these characters um especially in elvis it's so so well shot (laughs) every single time i watch it the first like 40 minutes of that movie completely entranced it's a trip and that's yeah which like takes you for this props to baz lerman he he has such a great vision for this but like the way that he energizes the crowd and also us the audience you do sort of feel like you're falling in love you feel like you're you feel like standing up and dancing and like which is another example of how walk hard Yes, it's like exaggerating some of these tropes, but not even like that's what's so good is like when they introduce how this this new form of of rock and roll is making girls lose their mind and everyone wants to have Mm -hmm. sex. um, It's like Elvis does it even more. Yeah, like that was uh, the so in Walk Hard when Dewey like starts starts singing. I think he's like 14 or something. Yeah, Hold hold My my Hand. hand. it's a very good song, but the teenagers in the audience start dancing and there's like fights in the Grinding audience and basically yeah. a Someone riot. hits a priest. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> but um, that was not a scene in Walk the Line. And I don't think it was a scene in anything else before. But then... Mm, maybe, no, there, there, there are biopics that I cover mean, I, that. Yeah. I would say, yes. Okay, actually, yeah, that makes yes. sense. But like then Elvis came along this uh, last year and did it like... It was sort of a honed, stylized version of that. And that's where we get a lot of the introduction of the relationship between Elvis and the audience. Um, but that, the, the swell of energy, the swell of like, uh, yeah, there's an, an inertia. In that first act. Yeah, in that first act. And, and, and then, I think what what actually um, initiates that is is the this childhood telling of of the young musician before they found themselves finding music and I think also in Elvis Baz Luhrmann does an amazing job Mm -hmm. of juxtaposing religion and the blues yeah absolutely Um, and just that how for Elvis it is a religious thing he found it at the same time that he found his faith you know and it's a a discovery of music a discovery of the artist it's a discovery of fame and wealth and everything that has to do with that it also is a setup for like drugs and a lot of the bad things that come along with fame but like those it's planting seeds for the energy to wind down later in the movie because like the sort of peak of the artist's career is that first well maybe not necessarily the peak but like the most energetic part is that first swell of like this is something new this is like groundbreaking everything else is going to be waves coming off the back of that of 
rediscovery or or, it, or different it like parallels the burnout yeah totally would and be so, experienced by yeah. musicians and so summer when you're talking about like i got through the first third of these movies and then i fell asleep i, I lose totally interest i forget what happens yeah, I... because the energy completely drops off yeah. because the energy and the the newness and the um novelty of these acts and these characters really drop off as well mm-hmm. i think that for the most part um Elvis is the best of these three to kind of keep at least a thread going of with, like the with yeah. the framing device that they use. Yeah, with the framing device Colonel and Tom also Parker, I would which I have uh, a love-hate relationship yeah. with. Don't also, even get me started on yeah. Tom Hanks' um, yeah. portrayal of Tom Parker in that. I would also argue I, I would also argue that some of the um musical stuff that they do like um a lot of the music editing that they do does a good job of like reinfusing yeah, that energy that movie absolutely oh God, so the good. editing yeah is... but then walk the line like it it really really drops off and then walk hard also drops off totally. like it's still funny um but as you kind of wander through the back end of dewey cox's life it's not nearly as focused mm-hmm. until it kind of it, until it uh, wraps up the storyline with his dad and then uh, gets to him reconnecting with his like 80 kids or something which like <laughs> I, so... I know that that like closes the thematic but line it's so, it's oh, so they annoying it. yeah it's it's not cute I, I don't like it but I, I mean it is a complete character arc that's mm-hmm, cool mm-hmm. Um, but then like the last I think that the last number in Walk Hard is really really good it's a great emotional closure of the movie it's the beautiful ride which oh my god that that song is genuinely amazing objectively a spectacular why didn't that get an oscar nom um it's so beautiful like and then in the end it's family and friends but then but then it gets so literal loving yourself but not only yourself (laughs) um and then but like that kind of tracks like sometimes music the the lyrics are literal and it works and then and then and then that i love after the bridge um okay uh because when all is said and done when youth is spent and burned you'll see that it's all about music flowers babies sharing the good times traveling not just for business accepting your mortality <laughs> it's I so love that for good him. yes just it's, spitting it out uh, for you. It's fantastic. The, it, this movie has themes. This character mm-hmm. has motivations. See? It's see? True. We made a motivated character. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I just think that that's... It, it, like, in the context of like everything kind of slowing down so much towards the end of the movie, I would love to see more biopics, specifically musical biopics, that kind of focus on just one part of a person's life. Like you uh, brought up before. Yeah, the Diana. one. Yeah, the Diana biopic. Which can't which even, it even, doesn't even like I don't even qualify know. as a biopic. Yeah, because it's not it, a biography. It's just like this one weekend. It's, it's yeah, it's like a study of this particular mm-hmm. um, relationship that she had with the family. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. And I think, I think that when you're looking for stories to tell, you can either focus on the person like the arc of a person's life which i think that people tend to think that they want because they're like oh i recognize this character i i want to know like what happened to them but like i would argue that a musical biopic isn't really the place for that i would really like to see more like emotional inspection and uh thematic resolution which comes better from like identifying 
a point or a series in a person's life, maybe over the course of a year yeah, or something. Picking a particular theme or focal point yeah. to allow that sort of exploration. Exactly. Like I, I think of, um, I just recently listened to the You're Wrong About episode about um podcast yeah the the the, the podcast you're wrong about they had an episode i think it was a um patreon episode about the creation of um that one fleetwood mac album rumors rumors by fleetwood mac and it took quite a while um but it so much happened in the spans of that one album and i think that the creation of an album and then the release of it that would be a really really good structure yeah. for a musical because like historical oh, totally. picture and so you know? much would be revealed just by like choosing that one window exactly of time and yeah. like the reason that uh, i think that walk hard really exposes this structure for how weak it is because if you can just like lampoon this so easily with right not that there was little thought put into it but like you you didn't have to stretch no, the, that much you didn't have jokes, to change that much they were so you, yeah, yeah they were so right recognizable right <laughs> mm-hmm. um if if you can replicate a movie that easily and parody it that easily then the structure needs to change mm-hmm. right and i think that the structure needs to be we need to reanalyze how we approach these films and instead of looking at it on the macro I think that it would be much more effective to zoom in on certain aspects or certain times in someone's life and say, this is what I want. So I love that. Maybe get like a journal from a writer or something. Uh, Let's write a biopic. Who are we going to write a biopic about? Oh, who was I thinking of? I mean, we could do Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. That would be fun. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't know enough about Oof. Fleetwood Mac. We 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 have the internet. That would be fantastic. Um, I don't know. Okay, I actually was thinking about this earlier. If you were to star in a biopic, who would you, who would you oh. want to star as? I don't know. We're both uh, curvy. I mean, whose and, like, shoes would I want to step into? I mean, yeah, there's the yeah. whole, like, who do we resemble on a very, like, you know, superficial level. But then right. there's, like, the who yeah. am I would prepared you want to, to step into? <laughs> yeah. That's something I'll have to think about. Do you have one off the top of your head? I'm kind of that. thinking. So I don't know that much about her. I mean, I get Stevie Nicks quite a bit. People oh. when I'm when I'm kind of embracing more of my witchy so you side can aesthetically. Star in the rumors, I, I mean, sure, I will uh, will write, co-direct, and all star. <laughs> yeah, I can see you in like very flowy stuff with your Oof. hair all curly around you. That would be really really cute. Love that vibe. Um, hang on, who am I looking for? I don't know. I could see myself doing a Gertrude Stein, maybe. Ooh, oh my god, yeah, yes. that would be fun. <gasps> Oh, or you would yes, yeah, you or would do Gertrude Stein. If we were doing something more, I don't know. I I, I think it would be fun to pull like a Kate Blanchett uh, mm. when she was doing the Bob Dylan oh, one, yeah. and do like. Uh, let me just play Julius Caesar, man. Oh, like hell yeah. some like mellow, megalomaniacal <laughs> historical dude. I love uh, that for you. I think that would be so fun. <laughs> you would do um, well. Uh, yeah, I, I speaking mean, of Bob Dylan, oh yeah, I just fucking love. Okay, they do such a great job. The, okay, we've talked about how good the music is, but the Bob Dylan parody, a uh, Royal Jelly in Walk Hard. Uh-huh. Can we just read some of the lyrics? Yes, from this? oh my god, please, because it's it just needs its own minute. Um, okay, so. <laughs> Oh, and John C. Riley's impression of Bob Dylan is so is spot on. I don't think I've heard it. 
Well, oh wait, in, in does the he movie, do it? In the he movie? sings, yeah, yeah. When he sings, oh um, right, yes. Oh yeah. my god, yeah. It's, it's when he's going oh, through I forgot. his political era. He went through a Bob Dylan, yeah, case, and his Bob which, Dylan. Okay, the the Kate Blanchett uh, Bob Dylan uh, movie. I think it was called. I've never seen it. I know. I need to. Me neither. It's called I'm Not There. Where several different actors play Bob came, Dylan. Oh, okay. And Kate, I didn't know. Yeah, they take. So Kate but, Blanchett yeah, does she play did Bob him, Dylan, though. Yeah. But it came out a month before <gasps> Walk Hard. No way. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was one of the final uh, biopics to come that. out before, you know. That timing, though. Yeah. Um, okay, so the lyrics. This, These are the, the Bob Dylan-esque lyrics. Okay, yeah. Mailboxes drip like lampposts in the twisted birth canal of the Coliseum. Fuck yeah. Rim job fairy teapots mask the temper tantrum. Oh say, can you see them? Stuffed cabbage is the darling of the laundromat. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, okay, and- I, I can't say I'm familiar with Bob Dylan as an artist. I don't know if I've ever listened to any of his songs. Listen it- to one song okay. and then listen to Royal Jelly back to back and you'll okay. be like, oh. They nailed it. Okay, yeah. That's all. <laughs> yeah but it, it reminds me of the Here Come Old Flat Top. He come cruising up so love. He come. Oh, uh, yeah. Juju eyeball. He shoot Coca-Cola. He got head down We love the Beatles. Um, yeah. So... Oh, speaking of the Beatles. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah, we haven't even talked about <laughs> the best. Okay. Which apparently are... they were uncredited, Danny Yeah, said. They, were, they weren't in the so credits. So Paul Rudd, Justin Long, um, a Jack, Jack Black, Black and, and... J- Jason Schwartzman, I yeah, think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they play the, the Beatles. Beatles when Dewey Cox <laughs> is in India. He's and, going through his and LSD. They, uh, yeah, period. we're gonna do LSD with the Beatles. Oh, it's so. Oh, it's so funny. Oh, no, like I'm having a bad trip. <laughs> it's so like the scene where they're in sort of. Uh, I I don't know what it's called. Like the the not a temple, but the place. Um. Excuse in me. India, yeah. yeah, in India, they're all like seated, cross-legged, and they're uh, they say like, "Oh, we're huge fans of yours." Oh, sorry, we're huge fans of yours, Dewey Cox. <laughs> He's like, "Well, we're we're, we're very good fans of yours too." Paul McCartney from the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that that like recurring joke where he says the full name of every like celebrity. Like, oh, thank you, Buddy Holly. <laughs> like, yeah. And apparently, like that was a, a choice too to like kind of miscast these iconic roles. But like, I agree with you, Danny. Danny said earlier, but I actually will defend the casting of the Beatles. I like, think they members. got the it vibes so right. Like, even if they don't particular. Okay, I think Paul Rudd nailed it as John Lennon, mm-hmm. uh, and. Yeah, I think all of their interactions are just so, so good. good. I don't even know that much about the Beatles, but just like, oh, fuck. Well, so and apparently, good. too, so this is another part of the commentary that I actually found interesting, but um, when, because they were only there for like a day, right? Yeah. They only came on to shoot for a day. And apparently, like, they were the first ones to break the fourth wall, right? They just like looked right in the camera because I think it was... I think it was Justin Long who says, "Imagine," and he looks right. Oh no, into, that's into that's Paul Red. Uh, oh, Paul okay. Red. Yeah, he yeah. says, "Like you know, when we work together, there's You're no right. limit to what we can imagine." That's right. Yeah, yeah. And he looks right down the barrel of the lens, and and like no one had broken the fourth wall up until then. And like John C. Riley commented, like there are so many points where it would feel like such a good moment to do that, but I didn't want to you know like cross that line and then like they come on and they just do it and then they continued to do it and and eventually Jake Kasdan had to step in and be like all right guys like let's not look into the lens anymore like we got it it's real funny stop this fucking bit you guys but of all the people to look into the lens I think that John Lennon deserves to break the fourth wall you know I um yeah I just love like the weird like the perfect 
self-aware, self-effacing, but still like true to character way that they all interact. Uh, it's oh my god, it's so funny. It, it's like a four or five minute scene. Go watch it. If you just want to laugh, because, yeah. like, the delivery is flawless every single time. Uh, yeah. And also, fan. I think, like, the the animated um, drug, drug se- mm. wow, drug trip sequence, mm-hmm. um, they do a good job of doing a bad job, if that makes sense. Because okay. how many, how many drug trip scenes have you seen in movies that just, like, don't ever do a drug trip justice i've never done oh, drugs okay. so i would so, not i wouldn't know yeah so as far as psychedelics go uh-huh. um it's very hard to encapsulate that in like one sequence yeah. and and i would say like i think of like um if you've ever seen broad city they have the episode where they do shrooms mm-hmm. and it's all animated they do a great job but like to me personally i felt like that sequence the like yellow submarine beetles animated Mm-hmm. LSD sequence it just kind of fell flat for me like it didn't quite work but like I think that was intentional because mm. it's very hard <laughs> to capture all of the peaks and valleys that come with the death of the ego in a drug trip mm. <laughs> um but like yeah I, I I think that they they did a good job with that even though yeah it didn't really work it was not supposed to work it's like um, sort of artfully unartful yeah i'd say so yeah um, um another scene that i really really like yeah. like i i don't think that it really has any like we don't need to talk about it because it doesn't really have anything to do with the themes that we've been discussing but i love the scene where uh dewey cox is like in his first few uh uh, performances and he goes backstage to splash oh water on his face Tim and Tim Meadows. Meadows is back there doing weed <laughs> or smoking weed well, or smoking it, reefer. What does it do? <laughs> it makes everything feel good. Well, is it uh, expensive? It's, it's the, the cheapest, cheapest drug there is. Well, I don't want to get hung over. Oh. It doesn't, you don't get hung well, over. I don't want to get addicted. It's not habit forming. I well, think I want some uh, of that. <laughs> will it make me want to have sex? It makes sex <laughs> even, even better. better. <laughs> I think that we're kind of want joke it. is so good, and then it's also so Tim Meadows when when they're finally confronting all the band members are confronting um, Dewey about like all of his terrible drug addled behavior, and he's like, "And you never paid for drugs, not once." And then like, <laughs> and he delivers uh, it each time so deadpan, but like more and more heightened. Oh, it's so it's masterful. Yeah. Like the this is just such a great example of like this movie works on so many different levels of like being an amazing parody being a really good biopic but also being so fucking funny it's like so funny. the lines are just so well written and re- well delivered like this is comedy right here it's too bad comedy peaked in 2005 and no one will ever be funny sorry again you know <laughs> uh yeah anyone who ever wants to be funny again sorry you're you're toast that ship has sailed yeah you can uh, never beat john c Riley as yeah (laughs) oh yeah and i love the choice to have a child actor playing the young dewey oh yeah we didn't talk about also the amazing scene right after his his brother 
dies. Oh, and also the scene before him. his brother dies, too, is so funny. Oh, yeah. When they're like, ain't nothing bad's going to happen to us today. And they're like, this is the best part the of being young. Yeah, this so is the best part of being young is knowing that so much lies ahead of me in this long, long laugh, <laughs> which is like very true to what happened in Walk the Line, yeah, too. Like that. Yeah. Very, very simple. That's why it's just so ridiculous. Oh, it's such a great spearing of this. Um, And then and then uh, when he when he goes and, and there's all the, the blues singers and they're like, like, oh well we can teach you and he immediately picks it up and like his voice is like amazing yeah. um but apparently so honey boy edwards he was um an actual blues singer from like the 50s 60s was he the who guy was who in... gave dewey the guitar yes nice. yes and um he yeah he they actually cast him um in it which is like pretty cool and then there was another Oh, yeah, this is crazy. Judd Apatow's grandfather, he produced the film uh, playing at the uh, the Afro Club. The, the No, he produced the song. Sorry, he produced Jump, that song is called. Mm. So it was an actual song. Like, in when they go to the club and Craig Robinson mm. is singing, and that's where, like, <laughs> that's when Dewey gets his first initial break, <laughs> which that, oh, yeah, that whole, anyway. Yeah, feelings uh, about that. Yeah, um, but... Bobby Shad uh, was the producer, and they named Craig Rob- Robinson's character after that. So it's oh, kind okay. of an interesting Thanks. connection there. Yeah. Um, that is an okay. I, I did want to kind of circle back to the whole like yeah. uh, African American. There are music. some yeah. points. There are some moments in this movie that do not age very well, which makes sense. It was the early two thousands. Um, Few things from back then and, age well. Yeah. So him singing, you've got to love. Yeah. The, hold on. That doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. In that in that scene, uh, so Dewey takes over for Craig Robinson's character, right? And he sings basically in Craig, uh, Craig Robinson's voice mm-hmm. using words that probably shouldn't be uttered by white people, mm-hmm. which is why we're not going to say them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's a good scene, I think. Uh, and, and it is kind of acknowledged that like, oh, it's really weird that this white guy is saying that. But like, uh, that's how he like gets discovered, right? Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's just a whole and, thing. And they also hit it's on awkward. that another trope, like that's in Elvis as well, where um, they show the heightened, um, like those those African American clubs that are like you know the intent passion there, and like I love they're how way they're, more liberated than like these white yeah. people just like sitting in their skirts and stuff with their hands in their lap, <laughs> and then the as soon as Elvis starts wiggling his oh, uh, his oh, hips, they, they go, it. "Oh my god!" Yeah, they yeah. can't. Oh, such a good scene. Um, uh, but. Yeah, so I uh, that that little connection's interesting, and then um, there's also some of like my favorite tropes that they hit on so well, like the opening of Walk Hard when they when they say Dewey has to think about his whole life before he goes on stage. Yeah. It's done in Walk the Line, <laughs> it's done in Elvis, yep. it's done in so many other biopics where they literally. They, they uh, like, like start with him the... like near the end of his thing <laughs> and then they like do a whole flashback thing. It's so good. Yeah, it's great. Um, what are some... Oh, oh my God. One of my favorite jokes in the whole movie when um, when he goes... So, so Dewey Cox is about to go on stage the last time, right? And he goes into the bathroom and Tim Meadows offers him um, uh, the erectile dysfunction, dysfunction Viagra uh-huh. pill, and he's like, "Oh, I don't want to be tempted. I can't handle the temptations." And then he walks out, and the the temptations, the temptations are, are singing, there? and he goes, "Oh, the temptations!" It's so That's such a good gag. I love, I love it. it. But like, how 
fucking amazing that this movie, this ridiculous comedy, got such like renowned iconic figures like the Temptations. Um we didn't even talk about um Jack White playing Elvis. Jack White played Elvis, Jewel <laughs> was in it. Jewel was herself. in it. Yeah, like so Ghostface Killer. Yeah, Ghostface Killer. Had a cameo. Was, yeah, he rapped yeah. in it and he went hard. Yeah. He walked hard. Yes. I, oh. I I do love that Walk the Line features Elvis and also Walk Hard features Elvis. Uh I don't know where I was going with that. Sorry. No, but yeah, because they were they they went through that. They went on tour together. together. They were touring yeah. together, so. and so I think it's it's really funny. Yeah. And, um, it's just fun seeing the similarities. Oh, another random tidbit. Um, so the uh, the Black Sheep song that was parroting the Beach Boys' "Pet Sounds." Mm-hmm. Can you believe that the actual co-writer, like someone who co-wrote with Brian Wilson, um, Van Dyke? His last name is Van Dyke. I didn't write his first name. Uh, actually wrote Black Sheep. So they Whoa. actually got one of the writers from the Beach Boys to write that song. That's awesome. Dude, they did. Um, like, they really put everything into this movie. And it shows. Just like, uh, it's so great because, like, it, it, they didn't have to do that. Oh, his they name really is. Didn't. Sorry, his name is Van Dyke Parks. So okay, his first name nice. is Van Dyke. Yeah. Um, they, they really didn't have to go that hard. Like, we, we discussed a little bit before going on mic that, like, there were a lot of like really low effort parodies uh, coming out around this time. And not all of them were like bad, but quite a few of them were like, yeah, this isn't going to like, we're not going that very deep into budget, it. Right. Very, like yeah. uh, they would take something that got really big and then they would just like make a relatively quick parody of the thing. Like, I mean, scary movie, disaster movie, stuff like that. Like, not that these are bad movies necessarily, but they didn't really really engaged they, they just took tropes and were like oh hey look at this thing but walk hard did so much more than that it really really loved the genre that it uh that it was making fun of and um i, I think that's one of the reasons that it's a great example of the genre you know and i i think that these three movies in concert really work as like like a, a sort of saga in the life cycle of a micro genre, you know, Walk the Line was critically acclaimed in the time. And then um, I don't know if I would call it a beginning because obviously we've been doing biopics for a really long time. But it was the but resurgence. It was, it, yeah, it was say. a resurgence and it was sort of a platonic ideal yeah. Yeah. Uh, of Ooh. like a really, really good um, sort of laser focused version of this. And then Walk Hard was an examination while still being an example. And then Elvis uh, now is both a, it seems like a response to the genre, which Baz Luhrmann is very good at, is resp- like taking the reins of a genre and stylizing it to the point where it's completely his. Uh, but it, Whether it, or not you like it. Yeah. <laughs> he certainly has a vision. It's so, uh, it's so interesting to see the way that this micro genre has evolved and um the different ways that we interact with it over the course of a couple decades you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, well. anyway i think it's time for a little break and when we come back i think we'll probably wrap up but we're final yeah. thoughts we'll, final feelings <laughs> we'll talk to everybody real soon yes Hey, y'all. 
we're back. Are we? Oh. Um, I just wanted to, I, we don't have to be. I just, I was going to gush for we a can. second and I was like, let's yeah. have it as an option. Hey, this is how, do you want to know what our, a little behind the scenes moment. Yeah. So we come in with a structure, you know, we sit down and we discuss like the main points that we want to hit or what direction we want to generally take things in. But then it all just kind of dissolves it into this apart. beautiful hodgepodge. Yeah. Um, but welcome back. Uh, Danny and I were just talking about like how happy this makes us, like being able to discuss films and how we love sharing our different, you know, um, takeaway. And yeah. like, yeah, and I think we, we were just saying how it's show and tell. Us, I, I would love you guys to know that we have these conversations when the mics are on or if they're off. Yeah. You know, I just I wanted to turn on the mics so that we uh, and like the whole podcast, you know, I wanted to turn on the mics to capture these and to remember them. And I thought that other people might enjoy them. Aww. But <gasps> Wait, this is... that's what our podcast is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just said that, but it just hit home for me. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I this it. is less like we're definitely performing on some level. But I enjoy this. I enjoy having these conversations so much. And I want to do the work to, like, bring other people it, into them. Yeah. And we love being but yeah, able to we, share we, we, it. But I am now thinking about, like, do I have a podcast persona? Do you think I do? I mean, there's certainly, like you said, there's a level of, like, performative kind of approach. But really, like, once, once we get into it, it kind of all breaks away. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, we... Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say that we have person. But we're personas. thinking more about what we're saying, obviously, because people are listening. Thank you, listeners. Yeah. But now I'm asking: Do you think I have a podcast persona, Danny? I don't think so, because okay. you, you're you basically either. like that in real life. Okay, so what I was thinking about was um, tell us, Danny. Canonically, Dewey Cox mm-hmm. went on tour with Elvis. Sure. And according to Walk the Line. Uh, <laughs> Johnny Cash went on tour with Elvis as well. So that means they exist in the same world, right? Yes. So what if Johnny Cash and Dewey Cox hung out? Because they they exist in the same world. What would that be like? They, they'd be... Would they kiss? I mean, they might, like, do the cry kiss thing. Because, or, because or they like, both lost their brothers in this tragic way. And I have was, been blaming themselves for it. That's very true. I was thinking of the Spider-Man meme. Point at the each pointing. Other. Yeah. But yeah, like So what we really want to see is a sequel of Dewey Cox where Elvis and Dewey Cox are best friends. Wait, we want No wait, these... sorry, wait, 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 Johnny wait. Cash, not Elvis. No, I actually I, I want say. these three th- I want these three men to go to therapy together. <gasps> that's that's that is what we need, not what we deserve. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's what they need. Because all of them died of drug use. Yeah. Uh, Thera- which is therapy. not... I'm not a, laughing at that. Yeah, not that we are making light of... Yeah. We're not being flip about... Also, Absolutely. like, addiction's a real thing. And, like, if if you need help, like, you you deserve it. Yeah. What am I saying? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I know, I'm like... In all, in all seriousness, um, actually, well, I can't even open this can of worms. I'm like, that's something we didn't really talk about, how, like, all of this drug use is... Really, oh, it's all like they, a product of depression oh, and well, material and conditions. Trauma. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but just how it's portrayed in these. Oh, biopics. it's really but bad. Anyway, uh, <laughs> okay, so actually, no, it's really bad in Elvis and 
uh, walk the line, but it's pretty good. No, it's still bad in walk hard. Only weed is good, apparently. I think what um, I'm currently experiencing is my own form of burnout from watching what feels like so many biopics in a condensed period of time even though it was only three i didn't even get to ray i was gonna watch ray i was gonna watch all of them but i still feel like i my brain is now just like combusting due to all of this content that i have consumed and it's all conflating i'm like who's who you're drawing so many connections and doing so many comparisons (laughs) and engaging them charlie from it's always sunny yeah it's like this is exceeding the ram of my brain i think we are shutting down we could talk about more but i think the analysis must cease i think i think regarding these movies our our limit um thank you guys so much for joining us this was so nice we love Um, you please catch us i'll speak for myself i love you i don't know about danny danny do you love our listeners i love you guys oh we love you yeah i'm feeling (laughs) nice today um i yeah, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at bisexually underscore lit. And you, you can, can you can us. email us at bisexuallylitpod at gmail.com or follow us on Tumblr at bisexuallylitpod. Thank you so much. And, and have... be sure to check out some of the other great podcasts oh. on uh, yeah. Um Yeah, there's yeah. some really great stuff there. So check it out. But Thank yeah, you guys for tuning in with us. We had a really fun time. We hope you did too. Um, walk, watch, walk hard. It's, it holds up to this day. It's hilarious. Yeah. Watch, walk hard. Uh, don't listen to the commentary and, and look out for the biopic about, uh, the making of rumors starring me as Stevie Nicks and me as Julius Caesar. Music by Gary Argyle. Bisexually Lit is a production of Winterhawk Podcasts. For more information, go to winterhawkpodcasting.com.